Yeah, yeah, let's come on. Let's thank God for our worship team. And for our tech team, amen. Praise the Lord. Welcome to Gratitude Day. Uh, I'm going to start off a scripture and you help me finish it. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us. Hallelujah. Welcome, welcome again as we come together and celebrate in gratitude what God is doing here at this university that he loves. And through those, through prayer and provision that he brings to us to help bless us to do the work that he's laid at our hands. The Bible also says, oh, how pleasant it is for us to come to dwell together in unity. There is an anointing of the Lord that comes when his people gather together and to celebrate him and to worship and praise him. In fact, that passage in Psalm 100 ends by saying, there the Lord commanded a blessing even forevermore. So don't you feel blessed by being here in the presence of the Lord and just basking in the beauty of his presence and glory? Amen. I was expecting a little more from you on that one. Uh, don't you just feel good about knowing that your God loves you? Uh, in fact, he loved you so much you were to die for. And that's exactly what he did. He died for us. And we're grateful to be able to come together as a community of Cornerstone. Uh, and for all of those that, of you who may be our guests or here for the first time, God bless you. Thank you for coming. I am Terrence King. I get to serve as the vice president of spiritual formation and Christian community, uh, better known as Pastor T. Uh, I'm liking that when as the students are making that trend, it makes me feel right at home. But enough of that. We have uh, someone coming today to bring us the word of God. Hallelujah. To bring us the word of God in a way that only he can. And it's someone that God has sent to us at Cornerstone University as a gift here uh, to lead this university uh, to the next places that God has for. And we're so grateful to have him today. Come on, Cornerstone University community. Would you help us love on our president, Dr. Jerson Moranoriano, as he comes to share the word of God with us. Well, good morning, good morning, good morning. Thank you, Pastor T, for all you do. Let's give a hand to Pastor T, the chapel team, spiritual formation team. Thank you, thank you. It's a team effort. We have a number of visitors here with us this morning, our friends and donors to Cornerstone University. If you're here, are you sitting here in the reserved seating? Would you please stand so we can honor you and thank you for your gifts to this university, for providing for scholarships and prayer and so many other things of support. Thank you to each of you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, brothers and sisters, for your love and your support and your kindness. Students, it's great to see you, and it's great to be together with you this morning. We were gathered in the back praying this morning right before the chapel team prays, and, and we came to pray, and Alex, our student body president, prayed and made a, a, a certain number of words, shared a number of certain things in his prayer that the Lord had put on my heart this morning on the way in to chapel, driving from Rockford. And I thought, Lord, my heart was heavy. We need to spend some time in prayer this morning. There's a lot happening in our lives, isn't there not? And I was thinking of that on the way in, and Alex said literally the same things to the chapel team as we were praying. There are a lot of students that carry lots of weights as they come to chapel. Lots of things are happening. And I thought, we need to spend some time in prayer. 
we've been speaking about prayer this entire month, yes? In chapel and other areas. And I thought we'd spend some time together in prayer for one another. How many of us in this room have what I, what something that's called unspoken requests? <laughs> Raise your hands, please, if you have an unspoken request. Those are requests that are so near and dear in our hearts, yes? That only the Lord knows, and it's hard for us to share for lots of reasons, yes? We all have those. I have those. We all have those. Things that are burdening us. Things perhaps that we're worried about, embarrassed about, afraid about, that we carry deep. We all have those. So we want to spend some time this morning in prayer for what I'll call those unspoken requests. We also have a Category 5 hurricane about to land in Florida. I was, I was having dinner last night with someone who has a home in Florida, and right before chapel, this person texted me and said, I'm usually really good about these things, but this is my home. And I'm really nervous right now. So there's a whole host, right, of millions of people there, not just in Florida, but throughout the world, who experience all kinds of suffering that sometimes does not touch the shores of Grand Rapids, Michigan. I think we should spend some time together, amen, in prayer. So I would like to do that. I know we have in our midst, I'm sure we do, loved ones in our families, loved ones among our friends who don't know the Lord and who we suffer about for, amen? How many of us can raise our hands? I want to spend some time together in prayer for those loved ones in our lives that we are crying out to the Lord for him to do a great work in them and bring them to him, amen? Because it's the Lord who brings us to himself. Isn't that amazing? That it's the Lord who draws us to him, who chases after us and brings us to him. So we'll spend some time in prayer. So I would like for us, it's going to be a little unconventional, I know, but that's okay. Right? I would like for us to come together wherever we are with those around us, quietly, and let's begin to pray. I'll lead, and then we'll transition to the next prayer, the next prayer, for what I'll call unspoken requests. We don't have to share those requests, but come together with those around you, and I'll lead, and you can all pray together as well, and let's just cry out to the Lord. One of the most amazing things, faculty, staff, students, is that the Lord of the universe who made all things, as we're told in Scripture, right? He is preeminent. Christ is first in everything. All things were made for him and through him and by him. He hears the prayers of us broken people. Isn't that amazing? Right? That he hears our prayers. He hears our prayers. And I'm sure that all of us have been in moments of great desperation where we cry out to the Lord. Last night I was in one of those moments at home with some of my family, kids. And I was crying out to God, Lord, you have to do a great work in some of our children's lives, Lord. Just crying out with desperation. I open up the scriptures. Actually, I open up my iPad. <laughs> and the Lord in his goodness, I have a reading, a daily reading that I, that I look into every day. And there's Psalm 91, staring right at me. And I will tell you, students, I read that psalm quietly at about 10.30 at night. And the Lord, through his Holy Spirit and his holy work, touched my heart. And said, call upon me, trust in me. 
I will protect you. I went to bed and I have rested. Lord, I entrust my children, my dear ones, to you, Lord. You have to do a work. So tonight, right, not tonight, this morning, I'll lead. You come together as you feel comfortable on your own with others, and let's raise these unspoken requests to the Lord. So please join me. Father, we, we come together wherever we may be this morning in prayer. And we're going to pause, Lord, just quietly praying in groups or alone, raising these dear requests to you, knowing that you will hear us, O oh Lord. So now, O oh Lord, quietly we lift up prayers to you. Oh, Father, you know all these unspoken requests, Lord, even before we announce them. And there's nothing that is too hard for you to do. So, Father, whatever this may, these may be, we lift those to you and we pray that you would be glorified through these requests and through your work in these situations. Where healing is needed, oh, Lord, please bring healing. Where comfort is needed, please bring comfort. Where peace is needed, Lord, please bring peace. Where we need wisdom, give us wisdom, Lord. You know exactly what we need. So we entrust, oh Lord, ourselves to you. Father, now we also pray for those whom we love dearly who do not know you. For parents, brothers, sisters, other family members, oh Lord, friends that we care deeply about. Some who perhaps have left and turned away and left. Father, we confess our entire helplessness in this situation, these situations. There is really nothing we can do, but we know that you can and we come to you. And Lord, we pray for loved ones who are far away, gone from you, that even in this moment, Father, through your Holy Spirit and your goodness and your love, you would touch their hearts and their minds and call them back to you, Lord. That's our prayer. For those who are in deep darkness of sin or pain or anger, whatever it may be, Father, we know that your light can pierce the darkness. We ask then for your light. And we ask that you would give us wisdom and faithfulness to seek you in prayer for our loved ones, O oh Lord, in trusting you with them. And Lord, now we pray together in groups or alone, wherever we may be here individually, for those who are suffering in our midst. We know there are those who suffer even here in this room who carry great burdens in our city, in our community. Father, those in Florida who are looking at devastation, those across the world who are in war-torn war zones and homeless and migrating, brothers and sisters in other parts of the world who are being persecuted for their faith in you. Father, we ask, oh Lord, we confess that we don't fully grasp and understand these things. And yet, Lord, we entrust you for you are good. We entrust these things to you for you are good. You know the beginning from the end. And you are perfect in all things. And so, Father, amidst our ignorance, our lack of understanding, oh Lord, we pray for stronger faith we pray that you would comfort those who are suffering, 
Please protect their lives, their goods, Lord. And amidst all these things, that they would, we ask that they would sense your love and your presence and would come to you, Lord. That's our prayer. And Lord, in the moments that we have together as we think about Christ, the greatest influence of you, Lord Jesus, is my prayer, our prayer, that whatever I say here, whatever we hear, will bring honor and glory to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. I have a lot of slides to go through. Forgive me. I will try to go as quickly as I can. I have about 10, 15 minutes. I want to do something I learned years and years ago during my first teaching job, students. I was working on my doctorate degree. I had a family, two children, and I needed work. And I knew Spanish, so I went to the Department of Romance Languages at the University of Cincinnati, and I said, I can teach Spanish. So they tested me. They said, yep, you can teach Spanish. Start teaching Spanish. And so I started teaching Spanish, but before I did that, they did something. They said, there's a structure we want you to use when you teach Spanish 101 and 102 and 103 and 200 and 300 level. We call it review, view, preview, right? So before every class starts, you must spend five to seven minutes reviewing the previous lesson, then 20 minutes viewing the current material for today, and five minutes previewing what's coming ahead. It served me well. I've been using it all my life. So we're going to do review, view, and preview this morning. All right? So Colossians 1, 15, 18, we know this is, this is our theme verse for the year. Christ, the greatest influencer. And this incredible scripture, this incredible passage where we're told that Christ is the beginning, supreme over all who arise from the dead. He is first in all things, first in everything, preeminent, first in rank. An incredible statement in the scriptures about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? And thus, we've asked ourselves this question, who is first in our lives? Remember, four weeks ago, I was here, and many of you were here, all of you, I hope, were here, maybe others, and we asked these questions, who is first in our life? Who is the greatest influencer in our lives? Really important questions, amen, that we should be asking ourselves all the time. Who is the first? Who is first? Who is the greatest influencer? And we talked about how influence is really a question of trust and trustworthiness. Yes, students, remember? That we, those whom we trust, we allow to enter into our lives and influence us. And thus, obviously, the question be lurking in the background is how much do we trust Jesus? Right? To be the greatest influence in our life. We talked about how in the world today we measure influence by these things called followers and subscribers, remember? And we looked at these people really quick, some of the great social influencers, right? We can't forget him either, and we can't forget her either. Millions and millions and millions of followers. And then we talked about Jesus. We even said he had a Twitter account, remember that? Jesus. Son of God, son of man, carpenter, teacher, 2.3 billion followers and counting. And again, we focused and spoke about how Jesus wants followers, right? That wonderful scripture dialogue with the disciple, he says, come follow me. I will make you fishers of men. He doesn't want subscribers, he wants individuals to follow him, to trust him, to go where he goes. I even suggested that he really wants friends, And as I was preparing for this, I thought to myself, Lord, how many times in my life have I unfriended you? 
right? Lord, have I ever unfriended you? I have. I confess it openly. God forgive me. He has. Thank the Lord. <laughs> but we've done that, have we not? We've put the thumbs down on Jesus. And he wants friends. And we're told, there's an incredible scripture in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. What an incredible passage of scripture. God wants to be our friend. So then we, I asked, we raised this question again. Who is first in our lives? Who's the greatest influencer? Question of trust. Who's trustworthy? And I introduced this equation. Remember this equation? Researchers have developed an equation that they argue can give you a trustworthiness score. So you take a number of questions, you answer, and based on your scoring, your credibility, your reliability, your intimacy, divided by your self-orientation, you get a score on trustworthiness. And we spoke how self-orientation is the driving, most powerful variable in this equation. The lower your score in self-orientation, the lower you think about yourself, the higher trustworthiness tends to be. And we spoke four weeks ago how Jesus is a perfect self-orientation score. Remember that? Completely about the Father's business. Completely credible. He knows what he's talking about. Completely reliable. What he says he will do. And complete intimacy. He does not betray your trust. Perfect trustworthiness. One of my colleagues said to me, if you don't say it, I will say it. This spells Christ. Except there's no H. So I put the H in for holy honesty. Right? It fits. Jesus is holy and he's honest. Amen? Perfect trustworthiness. So I, we close by saying Jesus is trustworthy and he can be trusted. So I want to ask a question about the Jesus trust meter. Right? If on the way out, to, uh, out of chapel today, we somehow, as you're scanning your ID to ensure that you, know, you got your record of attendance, we somehow put in that thing a trust meter. That when you scan, it tells us, yep, high trust in Jesus, good job. Low trust in Jesus, oh, go see Pastor T. <laughs> Seriously, where are we on the Jesus trust meter this morning? Where are we? It's hard to measure trust, don't you think? To come up with some probe that we stick people with. This guy's solid. This girl is amazingly trusted. We, it's hard to tell. Well, there's an organization called Pew Research Center. They're to measure Jesus trust, but they do something for the last four to five decades have been measuring something called social trust. The degree to which we trust each other is people. And here they define it. The, one of their last topics, Americans and social trust, who, where, and why. Social trust is a belief in the honesty, integrity, and reliability of others, a faith in people. It's simple enough to describe, yes? Much more difficult to figure out who trusts and why. And they developed three questions. They have been using the same questions for 40 years. 
asking Americans the same three questions. It's a social trust index to figure out levels of trust in America. Those are the questions, but I parsed them out this way. Here's the first one. Generally speaking, would you say that most people can be trusted or that you can't be too careful in dealing with people? That's a serious question, right? That's the first question that they always ask. Followed by question number two. Do you think most people would try to take advantage of you if they got the chance? So, of course, if you think that you're always a little, right, a little skittish about people. Or would they try to be fair? Second question. Third question. Would you say that most of the time people try to be helpful or that they are mostly just looking out for themselves? These are not perfect measures, right? But they do get at some important things. When we speak about do we trust one another, do we trust our roommates, our parents, family, friends, faculty, professors, employers, bosses, whatever, these get to some really deep underlying issues. So I thought we could flip this around for Cornerstone today. Again, not a perfect attempt, but bear with me. I came up with my own research center this week <laughs> called the CU Research Center. I confess it has no funding, no grants, no fellowships, no sabbaticals, zero dollars, but I've got a center, all right? And I thought if we flipped around and said, Cornerstone you and Jesus trust, who, where, and why? Jesus trust is a belief in the honesty, integrity, and reliability of Jesus. A faith in Jesus. It's simple enough to describe, never really easy to figure out who trusts and why. And I thought, hey, let's take these three questions and flip them around. And let's ask ourselves these questions. Here's the first one. Generally speaking, would you say that Jesus can be trusted or that you can't be too careful in dealing with Jesus? I have to confess to you that when I rewrote this thing, I thought, ooh. Because I can think of so many things in my life in 52 years that I have lived that I've been really careful about with Jesus. Right? Things that I consider to be my precious. You know what I mean, Yes? Because I think there's a little golem <laughs> in every single one of us. Yes? And I wonder what the golem is. <laughs> Maybe I don't. I don't know. But when you think about this, this very real thing, I wonder how many of us, me, all of us, have something that is so precious to us that we just keep Jesus at a distance because we can't trust Jesus with this thing. Maybe some of us bear deep pain of the betrayal at the hands of someone that should have loved us. And it's so painful that we were betrayed at the hands of a father or a mother or a family member or a friend, perhaps even abused in some way, and that's so painful to us that we hold on to that and Jesus is a little distanced. Because when we hold on to that precious thing, guess what? We get some kind of energy out of it. Not redeeming energy, 
not wholly transformative energy, something totally different. And maybe it's a little pleasure we like on the side. The scripture talks about bread eaten in secret is sweet. Never really good, though. And maybe we have a little secret bread somewhere, <laughs> right, that we go get periodically and we feel really bad about it, but we really, really like it. And Jesus is trying to knock on that door and say, look, let me in. I want to be your friend. I want to help you. And we, don't, we keep that door shut because we have to be careful with Jesus because we have something that's really precious and near and dear to us. Let's give this up, Amen. Number two, do you think Jesus would try to take advantage of you if he got the chance? Or would Jesus try to be fair? That's an honest question we have to ask ourselves, right? I remember years and years and years ago, I read this book called Disappointment with God. Faculty, have any of you read that book? Disappointment with God. That was a profound book. I read it as an undergraduate student. And in that book, there's a man who has suffered so much that he's openly says, why should I give Jesus a chance? Where was he when I was being crushed? As a senior in undergrad, I remember reading that story and thinking, that's a serious question. (laughs) That's a profound question. I was taken advantage of, this man said, and nobody was there for me. My daughter, who is a social worker in San Diego, Christian, struggles with this. She's told me, Papa, it's really hard for me when I receive clients who've been abused sexually, children in terrible situations, and I as a Christian have asked myself, Lord, where were you? And I've said to her, honey, I can't, he's there, but I can't give you the full answer. It's a tough one. I know he's there. I know he's good. I know he cares, but somehow in his watchful care, he's allowed for that. That's hard. And maybe we wrestle with this. I've been taking advantage of, 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 under your watch, God, why should I trust you? It reminds me of this. This is the famous, famous sculpture in Rome of the boxer arrest. I remember when I saw this years ago in Rome, beautiful sculpture in bronze before Christ, made before the time of his birth. What's captivating is the hollowness of his look. A boxer who's defeated abrasions on his face, bandages on his hands, completely defeated. Is this how we feel sometimes? If we were so defeated and we are so hollow, how do we trust? I read about this two months ago, students, in something I had never encountered, reading an article in the New York Times about contemporary approaches to psychiatry and psychology, and the writers were speaking about something that they studied called soul murder. I thought, what is soul murder? And they argued that there are certain things that can happen to us that are so traumatic that they are virtual murders or attempted murders of our very souls. Wow. And I have to tell you that I paused and began to think deeply, deeply, deeply in the life of my family and my brothers and sisters, my brothers and others, and think, I can see how some of this, how they have suffered some of these things. Jesus can heal.
would you say that most of the time Jesus tries to be helpful or that Jesus is mostly just looking out for himself? I end with this. I can't think of anything that's more powerful, more beautiful, more transformative, more comforting than the Son of God, the Son of Man, touched with the feeling of our infirmities, as we're told, hanging on a cross in love for us. That is the perfect picture of complete, supreme helpfulness. I want to encourage you students, faculty, staff, visitors, no matter where we are with suffering, guilt, worry, anxiety, things that seem unsurmountable, I want to encourage you, exhort you, come to Jesus. May we all come to Jesus. Because he can be trusted. He is trustworthy. He will not betray our trust. This beautiful, incredible scene where the woman caught in adultery is about to be stoned and they bring her to Jesus. Powerful, yes? He sits there quietly, does not issue an indictment, but simply says, where are those who've been persecuting you and judging you? They're gone. Well, I don't condemn you either. That word alone, I can imagine the burden that's lifted off this person. Yes? And then the encouragement, go and sin no more. That is Jesus. Healing, transforming, comforting, and there's nothing too difficult for him. So as we close in prayer, students, I just want to encourage you with all of my heart, faculty, staff, visitors, myself, may we come to Jesus. He is trustworthy. And he can heal and transform and reignite. Amen? Amen, amen. Let's, let's close in prayer. Pastor T, would you come and close in prayer, my brother? Yeah. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for igniting our hearts this morning with a word through your servant to remind us in the moments where we feel that our lives are falling apart and we're trying to grasp onto something that will help us, that you said you are the one who can help to keep us from falling. We give you praise and thanks, even in the moments uh, where we are struggling, trying to get to where we believe you are calling us to, and it seems that so many other things become distractions. Thank you for a reminder today that you, Jesus, are trustworthy. That you will never leave us or forsake us. That you are with us. You are behind us. You are in front of us. You have created us in your likeness and image. And we are your workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works that you thought about even in advance. Thank you for this time together as we have come to worship and listen to know your word, your will, and your way. Now, Father, let this be a moment, a catalytic moment that helps us to renew our time with you so that we don't unfriend you, but that we increase and embrace the extension of friendship that you give to us. 
We're so grateful and we thank you. It is in Jesus' name that we're reminded, uh, Father, that when we pray according to your will, you hear us. And if you hear us, you'll grant us our petition. In Christ's name and in his authority, let everyone say, Amen. God bless you. You are dismissed.